Hi, I'm Mark Crawford. This podcast is powered by my friends at Magnuson Ford. It's hard to beat a Magnuson Ford deal in Abbotsford and online at magnusonford.ca. They came from across the Atlantic, brave, skillful, proud Canadian men, many of whom would go on to skipper their troops and all to battle the enemy on foreign soil with the ultimate goal, victory. They are the Footy Soldiers. Footy Soldiers is here this week from my sunroom, the Platz. We've got all the windows open, the sun is shining, it's gorgeous, birds are flying, bees are buzzing, my neighbor Kim is mowing his lawn, I think he's actually a listener of our show, so... Hello, Kim. Try to keep it down, will you? I'm Peter Shad. To my left, Mark Teddy Rogers. All right, Pete. And across from me, John Jolly Rogers. Hey, Peter. Neither of whom named in the Panama Papers leak, which is good. At least what we know of right now. Yeah. All that spring soccer money. Is that all going offshore or what's going on there? (laughs) (laughs) How was that, Jolly? It was so adorable watching you wrangling 200 children below the age of six. Do you enjoy that? It was good. It was more the parents that were... (laughs) It's always the parents. You know the ones who show up as you're dealing with the 200 kids and you're putting them into their little groups? You've called this child out and they've arrived 10 minutes late. They want to jump the line and say, hey, have you put my little son, you know, whoever in? Who jumps the line like that? Well, my son was also called, but he was buried deep in my arms because he did not want to participate. He was just like my other son first time. Went around some cones, kicked the ball, had a great time. Then as soon as the whistle blew for everybody to come in, into my arms, not having it. And uh, lower lip, way out. I mean, I could have gotten a measuring tape out. His lower lip was way, way out. And I had spent some money on boots, I'm not going to lie. They're sharp. Yeah. So here we are on the week after the Whitecaps were nil-nil drawers with the LA Galaxy. By the way, a wonderful, credible point for them, given the circumstances. And again, one of those ones where the crowd, sensing that they felt that they were hard done by, getting behind the team and really appreciating a 10-man shutout point. And the only time I remember that happening before was that game where they beat Colorado in 2012, I want to say, when... Davide Cumiento played the ball over into Sebastian Latou and he volleyed home and they ended up winning that game with 10 men. But as far as Carl Robinson's concerned, he had to be absolutely over the moon with the character shown by his boys there. Certainly, and uh, signs of improvement in other areas. Uh, Mesquita came back into the team and, like he can do, provided tons of energy, not just from an attacking standpoint, but from a defensive standpoint. Aired continues to grow every game, not just, again, from an attacking standpoint, because his range of service is not just a whipped ball in like someone else we know. He has a cultured service coming out of the back for a young man at 21, but really the spotlight on him has been the defensive side of his game, which I've seen a big improvement, especially in a one-on-one situation. Players are still getting in behind him at times, which he'll want to work on for sure. And a return to normality for Parker and Waston. Uh, they forced him into wide areas. Great game plan to, to nullify that threat and then said, you know what, if you're going to beat us on a cross, so be it. But you're going to have to beat us on a cross. And that's Waston's wheelhouse. Well, so. they had the guys to do it. And, you know, Aird had Boateng to deal with, which was not easy because he's like a lightning bug. 
Uh, and then they had, in the end, Zardes, who had the chance that Osted stopped off his face, and then Alan Gordon. So it's not like that strategy was uh, not a poor one by Bruce Arena, but the resilience that they showed, you're right, was very noticeable. And I thought, Jolly, one of the highlights might have been my Medal of Honor this week was your tweet, Andrew Jacobson, Swiss Army Knife, with about 18 different things coming out of it. After one of the best, most sweetly struck balls we've seen at BC Place since Barry Robson against the LA Galaxy, uh, forcing an absolutely brilliant save out of Brian Rowe. If it's a yard higher or lower, it's in the back of the net and maybe a goal of the week. Jacobson, for me, is uh, going to end up being one of those players. Want to talk value signings? I couldn't believe you, there's rumors going around on what ticket he's on to be with the Whitecaps. My jaw dropped when I heard it. He brings so much calm to the team when he comes on he can come in at center half if they need it he can come in in a late game to kill a game a la seattle he can start in that role and just give a lot of calm to the team and by the way did you any of you guys see that strike coming he, no right when he rolled it out of his feet though you went he's gonna have a go here and that was 35 yards away absolutely smashed it forcing a great save from row are you tired of hearing about refereeing and refereeing decisions because that obviously was the key talking point and uh, another four red cards issued during the weekend and then a fifth when Breck Shea was supplementally disciplined for the tackle in Orlando that had he been sent off for might not have scored the winning goal which was a real cracker down there in the Citrus Bowl. So we just got off the conference call with Peter Walton who's the general manager of the Pro Referees Organization. It's really interesting what Major League Soccer did this week. It was a huge reaction to backlash from media in the print and the broadcast media. The fans jumped on board and were looping at MLS in on a lot of their tweets. For the first time in my career, I got a phone call from head office, the number two man, you know, making sure that I was going to be on this conference call to make sure we were educated about what was going on in the league. So clearly... They want to get ahead of this narrative, and they want to make sure that they nip any kind of negative association with the refereeing in the bud. But the problem is, you guys, I don't think refereeing is the issue. And I've said this a million times this week. There are good Major League Soccer referees, and there are poor Major League Soccer referees. Edvin Judasevich, the man in charge of the Sporting Kansas City Whitecaps game, is a poor referee, and I don't think he's ever going to get better. But Baldomero Toledo's gotten better. Silvio Petrescu's gotten better. Ishmael Elfath has gotten better. And then they have the guys that have been pretty good the whole time along. There's enough good referees. It's when you come back and then supplementally referee the game over, that's when I think you put doubts in the officials' heads. And we found out in this conference call that, uh, you know, referees could lose their jobs if they have enough demerit points, i.e. getting major incidents wrong. So that's something that we learned, but there were so many things in that conference call we should probably talk about. I don't even know where we start, guys. What was your overall impression of that call? It was a narrative that was being pushed on us. Everybody, everybody, listen, tune in to this conference call. Okay, everybody tunes into the conference call. You're all wrong. There's nothing really wrong here. We're going to move on. We had just as many red cards this time last year as we do now. There's never been a change in how we interpret the law, and the law is the serious foul play law. Peter oh, Walton actually he used these words okay, when he talked about serious foul play leading to ejections. In tackles that have speed, force, straight leg, two-footed, and he used studs showing in one of the conference calls. In the actual FIFA laws of the game... Two of the words that keep coming up, and Davey brought this up last week, 
excessive force and brutality. Where was excessive force and brutality and speed, force, straight leg, two-footed in the Matias Laba challenge, in the Felipe challenge on Friday night, in the Kyle Beckerman, in the supplemental on Christian Bolaños? None of those things were in those fouls, and it, that's where the confusion is coming. Yeah, and it tells me that they don't understand what truly endangers a player. Because not many, and we saw the Will Johnson tweet this week, which I wholeheartedly agreed. It was very few of these people are truly endangered by any of these tackles. It's so easy for us to sit here and we're re-reffing the game, except we're not telling them what to do differently. But for them to come on a conference call and say, all of you guys are wrong, carry on, isn't going to make many friends, first of all. The second thing is, they're not owning that there is a problem. They're basically saying, there's no real problem here. When everybody is telling you there is, and the problem is deeper than refereeing. The problem is what product they're trying to put on the pitch. What do you want your soccer to represent, MLS? The refs are the front line of that as far as managing your product. Everybody has been talking about MLS. I mean, I'm so sick of talking about them. There is an inconsistency in MLS refereeing that you've just exponentially made worse by undermining them. The second problem, I want to know who educates these refs because there is an inconsistency in the refs. I've seen enough of these games to know that from my expertise that the level of refereeing is not of the highest standard. When people say, well, we're just going to focus on ourselves, we're not really worried about what's happening in other countries, is complete and utter folly because whoever's educating these refs, if they're ex-MLS refs who weren't qualified or educated in the first place, you're just compounding the problem. I think this is more deeply rooted than the problem of just referee ineptitude. The one thing that I asked was, are you concerned about the standard of Major League Soccer refereeing up against what we've seen in CONCACAF Champions League, which is way more lenient, allowing way more flow? We've referenced the St. Kitts and Nevis referee who allowed Junior Hoylet to go two feet in, straight leg studs up on the Mexico defender at the edge of the penalty area in the first half of Canada-Mexico here. I've watched enough CONCACAF World Cup qualifiers and Champions League games to know there is a difference between the two, and Peter Walton dismissed the CONCACAF style of refereeing, calling it inconsistent. What happens when a Tim Parker goes overseas to represent the U.S. U-23's Olympics at Columbia, and the standard is totally different? And now... He's been conditioned to think, I can't go in and lunge at an opponent or try to win the ball on a 50-50 tackle. What happens when he goes into those situations? This is where the one thing that I will certainly ask Peter Walton is, does he consider an MLS red card for serious foul play to be the exact same as it is in the English Championship, in Serie A, in the Bundesliga, in La Liga? Does he consider it the same as everywhere else? And if he says he does... I simply do not believe him. I agree. And I'll make one more point. Is the, the comment of serious foul play was brought up. It's not a new initiative. They want to address the issue of star players being injured and then not being on display for the league. They mentioned 2011. David Ferreira and yeah. Steve Zakawani. He wasn't even a star player. He's no. a high draft pick. And that was the most premeditated, awful tackle we've seen in MLS in a long time. But that's five years ago. And Ferreira's, it was an accident. It wasn't even a malicious tackle. I struggle to remember one malicious and violent game of MLS soccer that I've ever seen. I, I don't remember one. The issue here, it goes to, if you want to showcase your most skillful players, neutering and mismanaging... The defensive side of the game, 
won't highlight your skillful players by giving them more space. You're actually just going to make everybody look okay. We want to make them look really good. Let the game be the game and stop trying to sterilize it. You don't have yin without yang. You get good defensive play. Trust me, the best, the most skillful players will pop even more. You talked about unintended consequences last week, John. Mm -hmm. I want to pick up on that point when we continue because there's much more to this to go. Sorry, we do have to talk about it. Then a full look at the Whitecaps who will be without some players today at DC United. What do they do instead? That's all straight ahead on your Saturday edition of Footy Soldiers. We now return you to your regularly scheduled broadcast here on the Footy Soldiers Network. We're sigh still talking refereeing here today because we had the conference call all the media journalists broadcasters were on the call with peter walton the general manager of pro and last week you talked about unintended consequences john and sure enough what happens 24 hour later mike mcgee who i think knew exactly what he was doing when he saw the opportunity to go into a challenge with matthias laba who's going to ground you know he's going to go to ground one of the unintended consequences of cracking down on those types of decisions, the instant red card decisions, is embellishment. And he went down grabbing one leg. Upon further review, that wasn't the leg that was contacted. That's not the creativity we're after, is it, in football? <laughs> so what they're trying to do is no different than any other work environment any of us has ever been in. When you're in a cubicle somewhere and you're typing away at your keyboard or you're stacking shelves or whatever it is that you do, and there is somebody who's looking over your shoulder saying you're stacking that wrong. Press that key first. Go faster. Do this, do that. The micromanagement of it saps the creativity out of whatever is happening there. Players will look at this and go, we're not going there. They'll make decisions based on how the referees are, are refing games. Creative players won't want to come and play in a stifled league. They'll want to go somewhere else. Right, so it drives away the, what you're trying to create in a larger sense, you know, just in a human sense. In terms of unintended consequences, I do worry. What if you're a player that thrives on the tackle, like Nigel De Jong? If he knew that this was going to be the way the game was going to referee, might he have thought about maybe going somewhere else instead of here? And then there's the question, Ted, of what we should be looking at from the very first phase of this whole discussion. What does the consumer want to see? And everything should work backwards from that. I'm just not convinced, having been to enough American stadiums now, no disrespect to our American friends, but you know, you overhear chatter in Seattle, and you, you were in the crowd there a couple times. Would they even recognize, at this stage of the game's evolution in North America, what is a really cracking game with a little bit of bite? One thing they will recognize is speed of play, aggression, and excitement. And that means goals. By trying to sterilize the game, they're trying to create more space for an attacking player to create more goal-scoring chances because that's they want goals. But in so doing, they're taking the excitement out of all the rest of the game. And if you're going to hang your hat in soccer on just goals, you're going to live a miserable existence because the game is far deeper than just goals. How do you want to market your game? Make every aspect of the game exciting. A well-timed tackle is exciting. A really raking 50-yard a la Morales pass is exciting. A goal line clearance by a center back is exciting. So I think by just hanging your hat on just goals, you're getting the game wrong fundamentally. My presumption on all of this is that the 
problem is deeper than just the referees. I've been on the other side of the curtain, had chats with people at the MLS. They do know they have an inconsistency if they're refereeing. I've heard that from MLS. So when I hear pro referees saying, we're actually quite consistent, that's not what I've heard from MLS. To think that there's no directive coming from the MLS on looking for diving and looking for malicious tackles, I think is silly. That is happening with disco. And it's having the opposite effect. I mean, Albert Einstein's big quote, we cannot solve our problems with the same level of thinking that created them, applies to this. When we look at the actual situation of refs on the field, aren't we more concerned with the core competencies, like the overall competency of what they're doing instead of picking out one or two specific situations and just drilling in on that and worrying about those things? Let's worry about making it better as a whole and then you can start to fix individual things as they're going on. You want to progress anything. You don't fix the problem. You fix the process. Otherwise, you're in a constant fix-is-fail program. So, oh, here's a problem. Fix it. Here's another problem. Fix it. Here's another problem. Fix it. You want to progress? Change the process. Identify all the fails and move quite quickly past that into a prevention phase. The prevention phase, looking at solutions and looking at some sort of a consistent problem in your product. Then you move to the root causes stage. Once you start to nullify the amount of problems, Peter, you have time to look at what are the root causes underlying these problems. And then you have the opportunity to move. And this is when you become special as an organization at any level of business. So you get to move into the anticipation stage. And that's when you start to look past all the problems because you're now being proactive with your causes. You know what the root causes are, and you start to look for improvements in your product. You never get anywhere by putting a Band-Aid here, a Band-Aid here, another Band-Aid there. And that's what I see. And this is 20 years in now. This is a young league, but it's not an infant anymore. It's a child. 20 years is perfect, because Wednesday was the 20th anniversary of that first game between San Jose and I think it was DC United. And you look at the makeup of the executive within Major League Soccer, and it's all American guys. Stan Cordemanche has been there since the beginning. So you have these largely North Americans. In fact, Peter Walton is kind of the first sort of foreigner that I know of that's infiltrated the executive of the league. You look at Disco. We know a couple of the guys on there. Rich Grady is the referee. Uh, Alfonso Mondello is a former coach. Last year, there were two former members of the Columbus crew who never really played international soccer, but you know they were on that. How are you aligning with a global game when everybody is from within? And in terms of the executive, you know it's been a good run for these guys. But is it possible now that we need outside help? foreign help to further the game along in North America if the league truly wants to be one of the best in the world, as it keeps saying, within six years by 2022. Well, don't you think not just the refereeing, but actual proximity to the real world game is an issue with developing young players, developing referees, facilities? It's an overarching thing that, that applies to everything that has to do with North American soccer problems. So yeah, I absolutely think that we would need to engage those types of people to come here and maybe bring that proximity a little closer. If you have a problem that you don't have expertise in your market or in your vicinity, you have to bring in people above it then, and you have to invest heavily in it. 
not just to manage the games with their expertise, but to educate the refs that you have in place, because then it becomes a relatively short-term fix for long-term gain. So you bring somebody in for a number of years and invest heavily. These are the frontline guys that are managing your game in North America. The refs are vitally important and usually are overcast, but are just as important as the players. If they aren't up to the level of play and they're not managing the game properly for whatever reason, then you have to bring in somebody that is to the level of play that can manage it at the same time educating the guys you have. So in four, five, six, seven years, you hand over the reins knowing, not guessing, that the guys that are managing your game are of an appropriate level. But isn't that Peter Walton's role, and wasn't that why he was brought in, and he was considered a you know a fairly high-ranking referee in, in Great Britain, for sure. Mm-hmm. I'm seeing this week, with how MLS has responded to this, a teleconference is a Band-Aid solution, no different than what you just talked about. I'm starting to see some of the limitations at 20 years that I see in some of the franchises, you know, at the executive levels where they don't know either because they're all new to this. And you know what? You also have to grant that, yeah, it's a young league. You can't be expected to know everything. No. But when you don't, you need to elicit help. And I don't see that happening because there's a threat in the same way we talked about gatekeepers and fiefdoms. You know, all these guys have 20-year careers now in a league that's starting to flourish. Do you think they're interested in giving that up all of a sudden? Owners have created some incredible equity. They've got franchises coming in, paying expansion fees that are starting to pay back the money that they've originally invested. So why would you want to give that up? Why would you want to turn over expertise to somebody else? What I really thought about this week, though, you guys, was these folks that are behind the proposed Canadian Premier League watching listening, thinking, Mm. differentiating, learning. Are there lessons to be learned by what we've seen this week on how to do things differently, better, and I think more transparently? And that's a big, big word that comes up often when it comes to Major League Soccer, transparency. I agree with that. I think there's another word too is hubris, and they can be guilty of that big time. They got on that phone and said, you guys are the ones who have the problem. Well, why are we on this call? You've called all of us and got us around here. And I'm sure the people who are dealing with this proposed CPL are going to have that in mind and will definitely be differentiating. Let's talk some white caps. What do you think? Oh, thank goodness. That's coming up. Caps, DC United, 1.30 pregame show, 2.30 the play-by-play on TSN 1410. And that's coming up next here on Footy Soldiers. Broadcasting from an unknown location deep behind enemy lines, this is Footy Soldiers. No Matias Laba, no Pedro Morales. Tavio Rivero was absent from training on Wednesday. They traveled on Thursday, which makes me wonder if he even made the trip and I haven't seen the roster that went. But there's going to have to be some changes. And the first big question... Backline, assuming everything is fine physically, stays the same? Don't change a thing. They're starting to get a little bit of rhythm. I know it's only one game, but what a game to jumpstart a season. And it's one thing we didn't touch on, is those are the type of performances that galvanize a group. And you would love to get that type of performance early in the season like they've had. From a defensive standpoint specifically, those four 
will have learned more in that 90 minutes about each other than they will have in the previous four games. All right, so let's assume the back four and the goalkeeper stay the same, although I did see Jordan Smith a couple of times with a first group, and you never know. Can Fraser Aird go 34 games this year, or 33 now, I guess, maximum? Anyway... That's a discussion for another day, and I don't Kate mean to Chung, make you... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, who's going to play holding midfielder? Are we just going to go ahead and assume that Andrew Jacobson is that man? Yes. Uh, for all the reasons we said earlier. All right. He's yeah. a perfect fit. Okay. So between Russell Tybert, who's back now, and incidentally, had one of the great interviews I've ever had with Russell. Russell, at times in the past... There was a bit of a, you talk about hubris, John, there was a condescending air to Russell because he was the heir apparent. He was the Canadian, as Carl Robinson called him, future captain of the club. There was no hubris. (laughs) There was honest, insightful, wonderful discussion from Russell. It was the best interview I've ever heard from him. And he said, I will never, ever take this job for granted again after having a frustrating, lingering, difficult-to-diagnose injury, and he looked great in training. Oh, good for him, because that was a criticism that I know that some ex-pros call Carlo Dasso, possibly. Jason. Jason is very, very hockey interview-like, just kind of cliche, cliche, cliche. Can I leave now? Can I leave? Can I get out of here? And I've worked with Russ. He's a good lad. I want to say that he is a good guy, and I, I think I have a good rapport with him. These are the type of, you either learn from that because he's had a tough old go or you fail. And it's an unforgiving business. And to hear that that was the type of response, for a kid like him, I think he'll respond well. So bearing that in mind, chuck him in. Chuck the Canadian in. Well, the only issue there is that it would be his first minutes in a long, long time. Even the haircut too, by the way, guys. Shaved it all off. It's not the star attraction anymore. I'm very excited about the interaction I had with him this week. And again, that's not to criticize him from before, because again, what do you know as a three-year young pro? There is Kian's Froze, however. There is also Davy Flores, who's back from Honduras. Who's the right pick if they go a 4-2-3-1 on the road, or do they go back to 4-4-2? Or what about a 4-1-4-1? Okay, so it's almost, you, you realize that you might have, uh, outside of Jacobson, a possible issue as a as another holding midfielder. As an eight. So you put a Jacobson in there, and then you have a Mesquita play as one of the, not the two number tens, but two center midfielders in front of a Jacobson, which takes the pressure off the other guy beside Mesquita in that four in front of Jacobson, meaning that you can then put a Kian's frozen, and he had, isn't all wholly reliant on doing the defensive work. You have that cover of Jacobson behind you. That's a possibility as well. And then, you know, you have you have enough depth at the wide areas. And check the big man up front, Blas Perez. I thought Mosquito was great on the weekend. Do you guys think he, he's an automatic? Yeah. Except for the fact that he was icing his knee quite a bit. Uh, that's the only thing. And that was way more time and way more energy he was expecting in his first game. In fact, Carl was going to, I think, swap him for Bustos. It's a week ago. Yeah, it's true. a week ago. Yep. You know, he was shattered on Tuesday still. So I hope so because, well, it's it's his yeah, first I, real I get action. It. I get it. It's I his get first it. real action. But we saw what happened last year when suddenly Nico Mosquito was thrust into the limelight, and it wasn't just what he contributed, making the right ball at the right time. It was that little bit of bite that I think gets under opponent's skin. Forward pressure high. Dave said this this last week. 
what if you paired Mesquita and Kudo together as harassing forwards? That'd be miserable to play against, especially if you're two old center backs, which DC doesn't have. They're Boswell and Birnbaum, but that's an enticing prospect. Hmm. And then, and then what, what do you do up front if Octavio Rivero isn't on this trip? I don't know if he is or not yet, but is it Perez and Kudo? Is it just Perez? Well, if he goes 4-4-2, then I'd, I'd expect Perez and Kudo. The problem is then, do you sacrifice Mosquito because he's not a true central midfielder, is he? He sure gives a lot of energy. You do get the sense that he relishes defending in the attacking half and possibly not as screening off a back four in his, in his own third. So to get your best personnel on the field in this situation, it is a bit of a tough choice for Robbo this week. Do you, do you sit a Kians beside Jacobson or do you sacrifice Kians, Davey, and Russ to get more attacking players into the situation. Because, bearing in mind, this is not a strong DC United team. Well, they haven't had a good start, which makes it actually a more difficult game, I think, because it's an away game at a team that is struggling. No wins yet. Three points out of 15. I'm sure, knowing Robbo, he's a pretty positive-thinking manager, will go into that game hoping and wanting three points. And to do that, I think you get your best attacking players on the pitch. You look at it and you go... They have that opportunity. If you have one holding midfielder in Jacobson, I think that's enough. You could put four guys in front and one up front. But knowing that Mesquita can play, start in that, and this is where Robbo likes to talk about formations over personnel and vice versa. Mesquita can play up alongside of uh, Blas Perez for periods of the game and then drop sure. into a number 10 role like we saw against LA. So uh, I, I think Mesquita offers more flexibility so you could change situations without changing personnel within the game, then maybe a kudo does. Brings up a really important point about Pedro Morales, who, despite maybe having his best period as a white cap because he's been in the best shape and he's been buzzing and he's been involved, now it's weeks away. Oh, that's too bad. Are we going to start giving him the sick note? <sighs> well, are we, gonna, are we, are we going to start talking about whether or not he's going to be a white cap? after this season because I think you have to start thinking about that now given his age and the ticket he's on I feel for him I do did not feel for him last year he's come into this season he's known it's an important season and he's got himself in very good condition he's worked at playing that holding midfield and I've seen improvement in that role from him to start the season and I, I felt that he was growing and it wasn't just raking ball raking ball raking ball he was varying his service he was putting a shift in defensively so from that standpoint I feel for the guy because I think he started the season the way exactly how he would have wanted to. And then to get a muscle injury again, it's a concern at his age now. Then, of course, you have what happened last year, and you may not get your place back. And again, there's that optic of having a DP sitting on the bench because, let's say, Nicholas Mosquita is, is filling in like he did last year. One other thing about DC United, too, and it's the same issue we had with Canada going to San Salvador earlier this year, you know, you have to look at this now as a good road team, as a chance to take three points, not just to settle and be happy with one in a nil-nil draw. And I think the Canadian Men's World Cup qualifying campaign may be looked back at, not this week's against Mexico, but the game in San Salvador when they're playing a U-20 team in front of nobody because they're on strike and in strife, and they played a very conservative blah kind of game. Go for it. Alex Ferguson style. Go to win games. Get points sacrifice the draw in the pursuit of wins 
that's what wins you championships. And that that's a great comparison. I sat and watched that game with you. We said the You're same going, thing. Go for it. Go for it. Sacri- make this it. is your chance to win away. Yeah. If they had had six points and be sitting at six points right now, the whole prospect of the group changes. And we were told off for that narrative. No, and no, Remember? it's CONCACAF. You need to get a point That's away a from point. home. That's a good point. No, it's not a good point. Yeah. That's the situation. It's the ideal storm to go and get something in Central America. Yeah. The other thing that was interesting this week is the uh, continued presence of Robbo's agent, Mr. Baldwin from BASE. And I just wonder if we're going to see an extension for the gaffer, which would be a very good proactive move if that's the case. Now, there might Mm -hmm. be other, there's a lot of clients of the agency on the Whitecaps roster. But don't you think that locking up Carl for another couple of years brings more stability, gives him more time to fulfill the plan? Well, we've heard him talking about, you know, even when we went back to our, the special we did with him, talking about five-year plans and 10-year plans. So... I think he's a disciple of that type of thinking. And if over a five-year period um, he can put his plans into motion, I mean, it's it's probably quite nice to say, I've got a 10-year plan, hire me for 10 years. But uh, I, I think he's a disciple of that after hearing multiple conversations and the way he discusses players, the way he discusses the future of, of kids coming through uh, into the Whitecaps first team. And... Um, It'll be interesting to see if he gets that and see if that will bear fruit for him because he's always going to be judged, as he said, on results, not necessarily kids he's bringing through. So it'll, it'll be interesting if he gets that time to see what, if that really does bear fruit for him. Well, we know he's the manager now, not a head coach. So his plan, and he's not going to get every person that he signs right. We've seen a couple of them. Rodriguez, possibly one. Jordan Smith looks like a dud at this stage, but who knows? It's early, and well, you know how I feel about him. <laughs> but the uh, in all, reiterate it for us, Ted. No, don't. In all seriousness, <laughs> what do you want in your manager? You want guy that's forward thinking for the best interest of the club. He is that check, looking to bring in young Canadian players. Uh, he wants to, but wants to also make sure that he has the security from his front office to know when he does and l- possibly loses a game or two that his job's not going to be at stake for that week. So I like everything I've heard from Robbo since he's been here. Yes, and, and the thing I've also liked is when he's made a mistake, which you all do and you especially do as a young manager, he's been the first to hold his hand up. So I, I think he's going to have a long career in the game. Uh, better re-up him now, and that, that would be a fantastic move by the Whitecaps organization to do that. Our medals of honor, and who went AWOL when we wrap up footy soldiers for this, the 9th of April. Once the battle lines have been drawn, strategy and theory are replaced by will and desire. Now is the time for heroes. Now is the time for the footy soldiers. If you're new to our show, then uh, you will not know that at the end of every episode, we like to award medals of honor and who went AWOL. And I'm going to start with Jolly for your medal of honor because it has to do with strip. We all love strip on this show, and you found some particularly lovely strip this week. I did indeed. It's been put out by uh, PSV to mark the end of their relationship with Phillips, who's been the, the kit sponsor on the front of their shirt for 30 seasons. They've gone back to the all-red strip with a, a little white collar. It's very sharp, and it's put together by Umbro. So actually, Umbro, who has put together some brilliant kit over the last five or six years, gets my medal of honor well i'll back off of that one with the umbro rep 
Paul <laughs> Dolan. Poor Paul Dolan. He is so involved in Canadian soccer. Poor Paul Dolan. Yeah, he's also uh, not been named in the Panama Papers yet, but we're waiting. <laughs> um, well, he's got different stakes in the game, but he's also all of our friends, and he's had to listen to us slamming his uh, team squad selection, personnel decisions. And, you know, a lot of people, what they would do is they would take that opportunity to absolutely carve their boss up, throw them under the bus, and agree with you blindly. Not Dolly. Dolly defended his boss, his assistants, and his staff, and came up with some points that I never really thought about, to be honest with you. And uh, and that's why we love him, because he's honest as the day is long. And he's not a guy who's going to be disloyal to his people, which is, you know, it's tough. I know it's tough for him, because we see him all the time. And it can't be easy hearing. But he's still wrong, right? (laughs) (laughs) Of course he is. What are you talking about? Your Medal of Honor, Ted, was it from a tweet this past week? I have two medals of honor this week. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, uh, but this one's really quick. Jeff Paulus of Edmonton FC, assistant coach, and Richard Scott from the CSA had a little Twitter exchange, uh, of which I wholeheartedly agreed. And it's to find a way uh, to find more children-friendly free play soccer spaces. A lot of the development guys, narrative, uh, you know, I think of uh, at Griller, Monsoon, uh, likes to talk a lot about uh, youth development. And one of the big topics is free play. And I could not agree more. Without free play, you don't get good players in anything. So um, one of the things I've been speaking to you about, Pete, over the last number of months, and it's funny when I saw this because I went, hey, I have an idea, is to convert all those crappy disused tennis courts, of which there are numerous in just Tawasin alone, into some sort of free play soccer space where kids can just go with... And the reason I say soccer uh, is they can go with a ball and play. It's really that simple. It's just open the gate, walk in, and play. And I don't know if it would be overly expensive to convert those. Yeah, it's a uh, great question. I mean, it's just basically about putting a turf down, and the kids love the turf. Yeah, or even if it's just hardcore, you know? I mean, you get a futsal ball and you play. So anyway, that my Medal of Honor goes to those guys and their discussions and their willingness to make the game better at the grassroots level. Can I just jump in real yeah. quick? Did you guys notice over spring break how many kids were out with a ball, a pair of goalkeeper gloves, and heading over to Windskill and playing during oh, yeah. their off time? It was noticeable this year, and I'm bugged every day. In fact, my kids are playing living room soccer right now with a softball. Free play Seems like it's happening again, and let's just hope that continues on. Your other Medal of Honor. Dan Roan at Dan Roan, and it kind of leads into my AWOL this week. Very nice. (laughs) Infantino uh, with being named in the Panama Papers with all of the scandal so far with FIFA. But uh, just more specifically... Dan Roan gets a sub-medal of honor. I'm not going to highlight too much what everybody knows already. But Dan Roan's first tweet. Tuesday, UEFA says explanations re-Infantino, in quotes, conveyed in clear, dot, 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 perfectly transparent way, end of quote. Wednesday, apologizes for, in quotations, inaccurate and incomplete info. (laughs) (laughs) Tuesday, next tweet, UEFA attacks media for, quotations, misleading public. And says, Panama Papers story, a sad day for journalism. Wednesday, UEFA offices raided by cops. <laughs> so Dan Roan, well done. A nice progression. My AWOL this week goes to Abby Wambach. I was annoyed with Abby Wambach last year. 
And a lot of Canadians were annoyed with her going back to the London 2012 Olympics when she was standing in front of a referee and counting out as Aaron McLeod, who sadly will not be at the Olympics in Brazil, was called for wasting time, which ended up leading to the equalizing goal in one of the greatest women's soccer games ever played on this planet. So we've been annoyed with Abby Wambach in the past, and she is revered by her American adoring public. She is a spokesperson for LGBT rights. She's a spokesperson for soccer, whining about the turf last year. And now, at 2 in the morning the other night in Portland, ran a red light and failed a breathalyzer and was taken in for processing. And the picture of her on the Twitter sphere. I mean, those are some those red peepers. eyes are all over the place. They were all over the shop. At a time when the U.S. women's national team is fighting for the right to pay equality with the men. This was horrible, horrible judgment. Because what Abby Wambach did was she basically said, my party that I'm going to is more important than potentially somebody's life. Now, we've just had this horrible situation, not necessarily impaired driver, but three in the morning in Victoria, Constable Beckett killed as just coming off maternity leave with two little kids. Just an awful, awful story. And there's Abby Wambach running a red light, gentlemen. She was caught running a red light. She was caught. She failed a breathalyzer or failed whatever it was that measured some kind of substance because she's now admitted to using cocaine and marijuana. What a horrible decision from somebody in the public spotlight. She wanted the hero worship. She got it. Now this is the other side of that coin. And she's going to have to face it. And And by the way, an apology on Facebook ain't enough, I'm afraid, to save that reputation. And it shouldn't be. I agree. So whatever happens out of this, in addition to what's happened with Hope Solo, and Hope Solo's situation, by the way, also disgusting if you read the deposition... And not a lot of people have had time to go through the entire deposition, but we have. Mm -hmm. And it's disgusting that she was, A, allowed to then play in the World Cup in Canada, only for then the charges to suddenly reappear or the threat of charges to reappear. And this comes down to entitlement for me and spoilt bratedness. And That's I, a, good, I, a great word. Well, <laughs> you do not take your job for granted and do not think that your job somehow entitles you to other benefits in life. Hey, look, people are making that mistake regardless of being entitled or not, Pete. You know, people are putting people's lives in danger probably a lot less than they used to, but are still doing it on a regular basis. I think when you're on that pedestal and you've put yourself there to some degree, it's a it's a big fall for you. And then she's going to probably be experiencing a lot of things that other people have gone through this before, uh, losing sponsorships and which, which she already a, has, yeah. which is a big a big part of her income. That's just part of the decision making that you got to live with it, right? You live with the the rough and the smooth. What's going to happen in D.C. tonight, gentlemen? Do you think the Whitecaps are going to, A, carry on their clean sheet streak of 218 minutes? And can they get a win at beleaguered D.C. United, who have three ties out of a possible 15 points? I'm going to say yes. (laughs) (laughs) Two goals to zero goals. Really? Sure. And I think Kudo is going to get us first. How about that? Masado Kudo will open his Whitecaps account, according to Jolly. Who is never right. 
<laughs> Please tell me you're not going to call for a dour nil-nil draw. This is a long trip. This is the longest travel day in the league by far. Three-hour layover in Seattle. Then you got to go into to RFK Stadium where you have to dodge the rats. Then when you finally get to home plate in the old Nationals corner of that stadium, you have to deke and dive the hornets that are coming in and out of your studio as you try to make out who is who because they're coming at you facing forward. It's oh, the boy. worst, <laughs> worst stadium in the league by so far. Well, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen because you're not you're going to be there and you won't actually see what happens. Okay. So I'll, yeah, I'll exactly. Thank you. Yeah. So what's going to happen is <laughs> Blas Perez draws a penalty. <laughs> they look to Morales. No Morales. There's a scrap for the ball. Kudo steps up. I can take it or whatever the equivalent is in Japanese. Blas goes, no, 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 no. Grabs it, struts up, smacks the ball on the ground, ices the game 1-0. Great escape theme song in the background. Get on the plane back to Vancouver. Thank you very much. And then on Tuesday, oh, very good, Ted. is supplementally disciplined for embellishment. <laughs> yeah. There it is, boys, from the summer plots, we call it. Feeling very summery today, too, Lovely. isn't it? Oh, man, this is good. I, I'm feeling like busting out some tequila right now. I don't know about you. A little early in the day, but... Oh, the tequila. That'll make the evaluations go smoother. Arriba! You're all on the A-team. All right, guys, uh, we'll talk to you in a week. Hi, I'm Mark Crawford. This podcast is powered by my friends at Magnuson Ford. It's hard to beat a Magnuson Ford deal in Abbotsford and online at magnusonford.ca.